Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now big bitch funny moves (laughs) 127 it's you bitch no it's it's you because you just did the intro good job (laughs) hello everybody this is i'm sorry with the podcast i'm amanda that's christina it's 127 127 yeah 27 get it girl that's all i got okay what's up i just think it's funny that the episode that posted last week was the one right before my surgery and now it's like four weeks (laughs) post-op uh I know I was thinking about that when we were like oh we could skip this day I'm like we really like placed ourselves on the calendar on those episodes (laughs) I know right right it's fine uh I'm not I didn't die it's fine that's I mean silver lining (laughs) you keep like half dying and passing out but well and it's not even like a full pass out honestly if I'm being honest but it's like I get Do you, like does your vision get hazed yeah and like and I get really shaky and I start to like pour sweat and I'm like I have to sit down or I'm going to pass out and then I have to like regroup n- not move for a while yeah. until my body like and eat some peanut butter or drink some juice or something and then my body so I think it's like blood sugar but I don't Which know sense. why because I it it didn't start until after my surgery and I mean, usually like when I'm recovering from surgery, there's usually like two weeks or a week or so after surgery where I'm just like, my body just, but it's never lasted this long. Right. So well, well you're an old bat now. It might take a while for you yeah. to heal. That's me. I'm, I'm um, an old lady. The old gray mare just ain't what she used to be, man. <laughs> nay, 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 <laughs> nay, nay. <laughs> oh, fucking no. So, uh, but otherwise how are things going i mean i'm in a boot and i can walk now progress so, so all right the- that's it <laughs> like that's all i fucking got that's all i got it's all i haven't left the house in like three weeks i'm going a little stir crazy well it's not as bad as that six weeks and when you couldn't like get up for more than how long when you got your like reconstructed your bionic ankle right this time so. they just scraped it out like a pumpkin there you go. You're a jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> My ankle foot. It's a jack-o'-lantern now. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah. are you? Yeah. Oh. Um Burpee apparently. I'm a little hungover. Mm. Had some tequila last night. Oh, the best kind. I know. I mean, I'm not terribly hungover. I think I'm more hungover feeling because I stayed up as late as I did because I'm a grandmother. Right. So I found, I feel like beer hangovers are way worse than like just straight up tequila. Uh, if you do tequila shots and just drink water, I'm fine the next day. As long right. as I go to sleep by like midnight, I'm good. Yeah. But you drink a couple of beers and the next day my gut just, right. it's all the, it's all the hops. It's hops. Um, I, uh, also, cause we went out for Chris's birthday on Friday. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is two nights in a row. And I, I can't, I don't, don't anymore. <laughs> Listen, I don't do double headers. This Mm-mm. is not. <laughs> Granted, we got back by like 1130 on Friday. Cause we went to a hockey game and then went and had a couple beers at, uh, the OP got a pizza because I was hungry. Mm-hmm. But still, it was a night of peopling, which exhausts me mentally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then sleeping and then waking up early and going to the gym and be like, maybe I am kind of hungover after all those beers. <laughs> Sounds terrible. <laughs> it was good. Got me sweating. Made me a little nauseous, but it got me sweating. Got me sweating. <laughs> oh, good gravy. <laughs> 
That's my new saying. Good gravy. Saying it a lot. Good gravy. Nice. Yeah. I don't know why. It's not again, a thing. We're trying so, to make it happen. <laughs> oh, to make I'm gonna keep happen. saying it. I love saying it at work when I'm with the like seven to ten year olds because they're like, "What is that?" It's like don't good gravy. Say it at school. Let's start a thing. You guys can start the trend. It's fine. Make it cool. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Yeah, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, golly. Stupid. Yeah. What What kind of story you got for me today? I have a serial killer story. That's how long is yours? Relatively, but it's one of those I bullet pointed it. So it might be longer on paper than it actually is when I'm telling the story. Okay, so mine's like 10 pages, so I was going to cut it in half. Sounds great. Because I don't want feel... to. I don't want to. It's it's really long, and I couldn't cut anything out. So I'm like, I think I'm only going to do... I'm going to make it a, two, a twofer, so... A twofer? Mover? Have you ever heard of Earl Leonard Nelson? No, I don't think so. I feel like I'd remember Earl Leonard as a name. I I feel like I should have known this as well, but I can't believe I've never heard of it. He was known in the media as the Gorilla Man, the Gorilla Killer, and the Dark Strangler. I was he a Gorilla Killer. Well, I'll get. I, I'm not. We'll get. There. Just tell me right now. <laughs> so he didn't kill any gorillas. R.I.P. Harambe. Oh. <laughs> I knew it was coming as soon as you said that. Um, so he was the first serial murderer in American history whose crimes were subject to widespread media attention. He, it was covered in newspapers, national magazines, and radio, uh, across the United States, Canada, and Australia. Okay. So he was confirmed. His confirmed murder count is believed to be 22, but it's not for sure. Uh, okay. And it remained a record high for nearly 50 years until the stu- discovery of Juan Corona's crimes in 1971. Yeah. Um, he is also considered to be the first serial sex murder in the 20th century. Oh, so he's like double time good guy. Mm-hmm. So when his identity was still unknown, uh, the law enforcement believed that he was a predator who possessed, possessed a dual po- personality and they likened him to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is also creepy. Yeah. Um, his victims were mostly landladies whom he would approach, like, with the intention intention okay. of renting a room. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of these victims were targeted after having placed a room for rent advertisements in local newspapers. The OG Craigslist killer. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Uh, he was well-versed in Christian theology and often studied his Bible, using it to keep, basically they believed it, it was using to keep his victims at ease because he would quote passages from the Bible and present himself as a very, like, theological man. Right. Um, and then once he had accessed their homes, he would kill them, almost always by strangling. And then he would engage in necrophilia with the corpse. Okay, Ted Bundy, you got to calm down. Ugh. <laughs> He would often hide the body somewhere in the house, leaving it under the nearest bed, for example. I got a couple of different places that he hid it. That's like, I'm like, how, that's why? why? Okay. Uh, In several of his murders that he committed in Portland, he went to additional lengths to conceal the body by hiding it in an attic or a steamer trunk Uh, within the house. Other victims were concealed in closets or behind furnaces in the house. Just, I'm... I just hate it. I hate the the thought of like finding in a small space someone's body just like jammed into yeah. somewhere. Uh-huh. I don't like that visual uh-huh. in my brain. Uh-huh. So at the peak of his killing spree, he was killing once every three weeks on average. Uh, his killing sometimes occurred in spurts. His last victim had been his fifth victim in only 10 days. Jeez, so he was so- ramping up. Yes. And so um, there's like three aspects to his killing spree because he moved like he started on the West Coast, then was in the Midwest and East Coast, and then he moved to Canada. So I think I'm going to take you through the West Coast killings and then we'll do episode two will be Midwest, East Coast, and then capture and trial, just so you guys are aware. Sounds good. He was born as Earl Leonard Farrell on 
May 12th, 1897 in San Francisco, California. Mm-hmm. Both of his parents died of syphilis before they, he reached two years of age. Oh. Uh, and then he was sent to live with his maternal grandmother, Jenny Nelson, where is where he got Earl Leonard Nelson from. Oh, okay. um, she was a devout Pentecostal who raised him with his, her two younger children. So with his cousins, um, he exhibited self-loathing and other morbid behavior from like a young age. I'm yeah. guessing it was like self-harm and things like that. Okay. And was expelled from primary school in San Francisco at the age of seven. Yeah. At around age 10, he collided with a streetcar while riding his bike and remained yeah. unconscious for six days. He, he collided or he got hit by a streetcar. <laughs> well, it said he collided, but I'm assuming. I, I feel like that's I'm assuming some of the responsibility on the bike rider. I'm assuming the streetcar a... hit him. <laughs> yeah. I was like, unless you ran into the side and knocked yourself out for six days. Is that what you said? Eight yes. Days? So severe head trauma. And then he, when, after he awoke, his behavior was described as erratic. He suffered from frequent headaches and memory loss and would sometimes pass out. Okay. Uh, they described him as a psychotic prodigy. I don't quite know what that means other than I'm assuming he just was psychotic from young age. All right. Um, his behavior incre- became increasingly bizarre, manic, um, and manic. As he would talk to invisible people, compulsively quote Bible passages, and watch female family members undress. Okay. His grandmother noted occasions where he would leave to school and be like well dressed and fully clean, and would come home in rags that were not his clothes, covered in dirt, as though he exchanged clothes with a homeless person. And it was just unexplainable. Like, Weird. Where- Where'd you get that shirt, buddy? But this is not what you left the house in. Mm-hmm. Weird. So he, his strong relig- religious upbringing that his grandmother like raised him in became a very strong influence in his life. And he obsessively read the book of Revelations as a teenager. Revelations, which, great choice. I know, great I'm Like of all the books in the Bible. It is the most exciting. The darkest book. <laughs> Well, that too. So he was sentenced to two years in San Quentin State Prison in 1915 after breaking into a cabin in rural Plumas County. He believed it had been abandoned. Um, He was paroled for this offense. And then on September 6th of 1916, he was arrested again in Stockton uh, for petty larceny. He spent another six months incarcerated before being discharged, after which he was arrested in Los Angeles for burglary. And then after spending approximately five months in Los Angeles County Jail, he escaped. Okay. So he's kind of just on a run. Well, that's this is what's weird. Is So he escaped jail. And then in 1917, he just enlisted in the U.S. military. Kind of, <laughs> so they just let him so go. so weird. Then. They just let him go. <laughs> or there it's, was no record. So it was just yeah, like, cool. Well, right. And that's ugh, so weird. So, so weird. I can't imagine living in a world where it's just like, you're just off the grid, man, all the time. Disappear, there man. is no grid. No, you can just, whoop, see you later and just start a new life. Like, my name's Francesca now. Speaking so. of starting a new life. Oh, so, well, he enlisted in the U.S. military, mm-hmm. and then he deserted after six weeks. He then repeated this pattern on several occasions, enlisting in different military branches under different names before deserting. So I'm not quite sure what he was doing. Uh, catch me if you can style just see if I can get away with it but he was only staying for like 16 or six weeks like what are you getting out of that you go through hellish basic training and then you're like well see you later I want to do it again um in 1918 he was committed to the Napa State Mental Hospital after behaving oddly and erratically during one of his brief stints in the Navy a Navy psychologist noted that Nelson was living in a constitutional psychotic state we're doing well he once he was arrived at the mental hospital a psychologist observed nelson and on may 21st 1918 and stated that he did not appear violent homicidal or destructive so i'm sure that psychologist was a really good psychologist to be fair early 1900s probably not yeah probably just like let's just shock him or kind of drown him and that might help <laughs> you're holding it on <laughs> you, you tried so hard 
Good for you. I was about to say, let's just poke his brain a little bit, see what happens. Mm-hmm. See what happens. See if we can just like stir up, you know, scrambled egg style, the part mm-hmm. that doesn't work right. See if that'll work. So, so during his inst- institutionalization, that's a big word. I didn't. I'm so proud of you for all those consonants you just <laughs> said. Uh, he managed to escape at least three times before staff eventually stopped trying to locate him. <laughs> They're like, you know, let's just let him go. He's He has got some gumption. He's We're relatively fine. <laughs> you know what? He's not homicidal yet. Uh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> his frequent escapes earned him the nickname Houdini among uh-huh. the hospital employees. He has a lot of nicknames. Mm-hmm. And then he was formally discharged from the Navy on May 17th, 1919, and his file with the hospital was closed with a note indicating he had improved. Well, good. He then started working as a janitor at St. Mary's Hospital using the name Evan Lewis Fuller, uh, where he met 60-year-old Mary Martin, an administrative worker, and then the two began to date and were married in August of 1919. How old was he at this point? Uh, 1919 and he was born in 1897 so do the math wow she's a cougar <laughs> um three nineteen twenty two. 22 i didn't even realize that. 22 and 62 is what you said and, yeah hot 60, damn mama <laughs> yeah girl rare <laughs> anyway <laughs> back to the murderer <laughs> right uh, so they were married in August of 1919. Uh, however, their marriage was short-lived as Nelson made her life a living hell with his jealous rages, bizarre sexual demands, religious delusions, and increasingly violent behavior, leading her to separate from him after living together for only six months. He w- she would later recall various bizarre behaviors she witnessed while living with Nelson, one of which was long disappearances from their home and an unusual bathing practice which entailed him to pouring glasses of water over his toes what <laughs> like sit in the bathtub i would hope in the bathtub and just pour glasses of water over his toes I, that makes me uncomfortable to think about can you imagine just like walking in on chris in the bathtub just pouring water over his toes repeatedly <laughs> walking in freezes looks at him <laughs> as he's pouring water over his toes it's like what you doing there bud <laughs> just cleaning my toes just cleaning my toes specific <laughs> very specific of you you need the direct water contact or it just doesn't work <laughs> you just set them in the water i have to pour it on the motion does the the work <laughs> i have to pour the water on my toes oh don't on <laughs> on my toes oh, i hate gosh. it I hate everything it's, about it that's hilarious <laughs> oh, fuck. um on may 19th night sorry i'm still laughing about the toes and it's about to get serious so i gotta like okay shake it out here <clears throat> and don't think about the toes just don't think about the toes <laughs> So on May 19th, 1921, he posed as a plumber um, to enter a residence in San Francisco and attempted to molest a 12-year-old daughter or the 12-year-old little girl, Mary Summers, in the basement. His attempt was stopped when she screamed and her older brother came. He fled, but then was captured hours later while riding a trolley. So just taking a ride on a streetcar. Dude, Um, at a competency hearing, he was deemed dangerous and recommended to go back to Napa State Mental Hospital, but he escaped again on two more occasions before being discharged from the institution. So they, he just kept escaping and they kept going, this is a slippery fuck and I'm done dealing with him. So bye. <laughs> I feel like it keeps happening. He keeps just escaping multiple times and then they're like, you know what? He really wants to be out. Let's just let him out. It's, it's just, fine. I'm done dealing with it. Let's just be so, fine with it. So his killing spree began in early 1926. Uh, his first known victim was Clara Newman, a wealthy 60-year-old 60, 60 San Francisco landlady. Uh, he entered her boarding house uh, on February 20th, 1926, which is today, the day yeah, we're is. recording. 
Uh, and he was posing as a potential tenant named Roger Wilson. Uh, sometime after entering her home, he strangled Newman before raping her dead body. And then he hid her corpse in a vacant apartment in the house. I don't, I mean, granted, you can't find logical reasoning for illogical things, but I was like, I, I don't understand necrophilia. Mm-mm. I can't, I mean, I don't understand a lot of things that come with like sexual violence of any sort, but like, I don't, what? Uh, who who why why is this a a thing okay so his second victim is 63 year old laura beal she was strangled in her home in nearby san jose on march 2nd Uh, the silken cord which had been used to strangle beal had reportedly been wound so tightly around her neck that it embedded into her flesh Uh, he then strangled and raped 63-year-old Lillian St. Mary, also in San Francisco, on June 26, 1926. Exactly two weeks later, uh, in South Santa Barbara, he strangled 53-year-old Ollie Russell uh, with a cord in her boarding house. An autopsy, <sighs> an autopsy confirmed that Russell had been sexually assaulted after death, and the similarities in the murders between her murder and the San Francisco area slayings led police to assume they were connected. So they realized like at that point that they had a serial killer. I mean, good for them. That was, I mean, that's pretty early in the game. It wasn't known as a serial killer. No, they knew that they had like a repeat offender. Yes. Um, On August 16th, 52 year old, 52 year old, Mary Nesbitt, uh, an apartment building proprietor in Oakland, was found by her husband, strangled to death, and raped in the bathroom of a vacant apartment. Initially, local law enforcement questioned her husband, but he was shortly cleared of suspicion. And then a witness later told police that they had seen a smiling stranger lurking outside of Nesbitt's apartment building the day of her murder. Others who claimed to have been have seen Nelson at the various boarding houses described him to police as a dark and stocky man with long arms and large hands. Because of this, newspapers began referring to him as the dark strangler, the gorilla man, and the gorilla killer. There it is. It's because of his meaty sausage fingers. It's not funny, but that's his long arms and meaty fingers. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> so, into the fall of 1926, he Nelson relocated to Portland, Oregon. Uh, where he raped and murdered 35-year-old landlady uh, Beta Withers. And then on October 19th, her body was found by her teenage son stuffed beneath the clothing inside a steamer trunk in the attic of her home. My case is in Portland, Oregon. So Oregon, we're coming for you. Coming for you, bitch. Uh, The following day, 59-year-old Virginia Grant was murdered in a vacant property she owned on East 22nd Street, her body hidden behind her home's basement furnace, like I had mentioned prior. It's just so gross. I hate that image in my brain. Mm -hmm. Just jammed into anything that's like a smaller space than it should be in. It's gross. I like it. So then on October 21st, uh, Mabel Fluke disappeared from her home in Portland. Her body was discovered several days later in the attic, strangled with a scarf. Uh, after committing the three murders in Portland, he briefly returned to San Francisco, where he raped and murdered 56-year-old widow Anna Edmonds. And then on November 18th, several days after her murder, a friend of Edmonds told police that she had stopped by her home on the day of her murder and found Edmonds talking to a strange man in her parlor about a business deal that involved her selling her house. The woman's okay. description of the unknown man matched those of the dark strangler. The gorilla killer. Water break. <clears throat> Water break. That's what happens when you got a cold. You need to mm-hmm. wet the whistle. Got to wet the whistle. So the following day, November 19th in nearby Burlingame, California, a 28-year-old pregnant woman was attacked while showing her home to a man posing as a potential buyer. She survived the attack and described the man as being around 5'8", well-dressed, well-spoken, with long arms and big hands. Like, how long and big are his hands and For arms? to be, like, a descriptive thing the that noticing everybody says. Features. Yep, everybody's like... Yeah, well, I mean, he had really long arms, um, and really his hands were just like real meaty. It's <laughs> like, what the fuck, dude? You got catcher's mitts? <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> the woman later told reporters that though she hadn't felt threatened initially, 
She realized in retrospect that the man had, had commented on her home's intricate details, particularly the ceilings. I realized now that he was trying to get me to look up towards the ceiling so that he could get me behind me and grab my throat. Darling, you're smart. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he kept pointing out things, so I bet you that's what it was. Keep wow. Hand at the hand level at the of your eye. Thank you, Phantom of the Opera. You taught me well. Any Anytime I'm going into a dark place, just put your hand up. Just, just put your hand up. No, no, strangly. No, no. No, no. Uh, so then after, okay, so 10 days later on November 29th, Nelson murdered and raped Blanche Myers in her Portland home. Police were able to recover foreign fingerprints from Myers' iron bedpost. And then these murders kind of ignited a public frenzy. Um, One local woman called police claiming that a suspicious man had stayed in her boarding house for several days after the Thanksgiving holiday using the name Adrian Harris. On November 29th, the day of Myers' murder, she stated that the man told her that and other residents that he was leaving to take a train to Vancouver and indicated that he would not be returning. She found this suspicious given that he had paid multiple days worth of rent in advance and didn't want the money back. And before departing, he gave her and another female boarder pieces of jewelry as a gift, which were later confirmed by police to have been owned by Florence Monks, a wealthy widow who had been murdered and raped in Seattle home on November 23rd. Oh my God, the the webs this guy weaves. Jeez. Mm -hmm. So in the hopes of preventing further murders, law enforcement in California and Oregon issued public safety announcements to citizens in the San Francisco Bay Area. To elderly women were advised to take precautions while renting homes and inviting strangers into their homes. Right. Be on high alert. Right. And that is where we're going to pause to be continued. EBD for next time. (laughs) So there's no determination. There's no determination needed. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> wow. Okay. I'm ready to hear more. Yeah. We all like. I know you were getting closer and closer to the camera. <laughs> trying to see your eyeballs up close. All right. You ready to tell me your story now? I am. Have you heard? I'm thinking you did because this. It's relatively recent. Uh, Chiron Hor- Chiron Horman no disappearance so it's from like 2010 is when it happened and okay. i remember seeing his face on the news around maybe when time. you start telling me oh. yeah and so i was like oh that's because it's still unsolved awesome yeah love it we love that i love that uh, journey for me and you together you yeah oh, whoops I must have hit something and it like went down a page because I was like, that is not the beginning of my stuff. That is not how this starts. We are like part of the way in right now. Okay. So Kyron Horman was born September 9th of 2002 uh, to Kane and Desiree Horman. They were already on the rocks at the time. And then, so they were working on separating at that point, like deciding what they were going to do. And then she found out she was pregnant. And so they decided, okay, well, let's just try our best to figure it out. Cause it's not just them anymore. You know, let's just try and see how we do. They ended up getting divorced by the it's, time mm-hmm. before Kyron was even born. So it's like they tried, but they knew that it just wasn't going to work and it was best for them to just part ways. Right. Um, so Kyron lived with his mother for the first two years of his life. And then he moved in with his dad because his mom developed a uh, kidney disorder from a prescription medication that she was taking. Okay. And she had to actually go to Canada to get treatment for it. So he moved in with his dad, Kane. Okay. Uh, Kane was an engineer. He worked a lot. Um, because of this, they decided that they wanted to hire a live-in nanny so that someone was at the house at all times with Kyron and just was there and available if he had to stay late and go elsewhere. Right. Um, so they hired Taylor, 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 hello? No. Taylor. Terry Moulton. I put both of the names together. Oh. Um, and she moved into Kane Horman's house and took over childcare and household duties and kind of just did like the household management stuff. Okay. So now Terry, she was a bodybuilder in her past and had been married two times before this. 
Um, she was struggling to find work and a place to live because she had had a DUI conviction uh, a couple years before that, apparently. Okay. And so she's like, this works out because she couldn't find, and she has a son. So mm-hmm. she was like, if I can find someplace, like make enough money. And so this, it was like, checked all her boxes. They both could live there. Oh, she nice. Making money, you know? Okay. So she's like, perfect. I'll move in. But it turns out Terry and Kane knew each other already. Oh. And they had had an affair. Oh. And while Desiree and Kane were still together and their marriage was falling apart. So I'm unsure if it was when they were like separated or when they were still like trying to figure things out. Okay. Um, so that was unclear if it was like a, a super extramarital affair or if it was just a poorly timed thing. Right. Mm. Now that I'm talking more, I'm like, oh, my throat's just like scratching. Let me clear my throat. <laughs> Um, uh, then in april of 2007 so let's fast forward five-ish years okay um the two terry and kane got married in hawaii Mm -hmm. and then in 2008 they actually had their own baby together um so in the house at that point it was kane terry her son, which they said his name a couple times, but I feel like he has like nothing to do with this. So I'm just not going to say his name because he was a minor at the time of everything and ended up right. living elsewhere. So um, Kyron and Kira was the daughter who was born. Um, Desiree, Kyron's birth mom, mm-hmm. married a police detective named Tony Young too. And it seems like everybody got along really well. Like co-parenting was easy because they kind of just were like, you know, we didn't work out, but I'm glad that all of us like love Kyron ourselves, you know? Right. Um, In fact, so Kyron didn't live with his mom, but he would go there on a regular basis and Mm -hmm. he loved Tony. Tony was like his role model. He had decided that he wanted to be a cop just like Tony and like his stepdad, you know? Right. And so they were, they were close. It's, they had a good relationship, but he didn't full-time live with her and him. Okay. And it was mostly just because they wanted to keep the stability kind of thing. Yeah. Like keep things stable for him. Uh, in June, on June 4th of 2010. So now we're going to get into, that was the backstory, kind of get to know the family and their stuff. Cause everybody's right. got stuff guys. Everybody's um, got stuff. Yes. So June 4th, 2010, um, there's a science fair at Kyron's school in Portland, Oregon. Um, <coughs> did it. It's done. I was trying to be all subtle about it before and it just didn't do enough. Uh, anyway, so Kyron was super excited about this. He was seven at the time, right? And he's super excited about bringing his project. It was Friday. There was only like another week or whatever left of school. And so it was kind of the end of the year fun thing that they did. Okay. Uh, So Skyline Elementary is located right outside of Portland, Oregon. It's not like in town and it's kind of surrounded by a wooded area, which sounds like a really cool place to have like a school in your own space. Yeah. What Um, is it? Forks High School? uh, Skyline. (laughs) Oh, you oh you just being i was making a joke (laughs) here reference didn't hit until after i said that i was like wait (laughs) wait a minute i'm just stupid stupid (laughs) so forest park was like saddled up right next to the elementary school so it was like a vast mileage of forest land um Kyron would ride the school bus to go to school daily, but today Terry, his stepmom now. Um, oh, yep. Here, this is yep. where it's now. I'm like, got it. Yep, got Terry, it. Terry <laughs> drove him loud. to. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Uh, he she drove him to school because he had a science fair project, and it, it was him, her, and then Kira, the baby. Which at that time she's more of like almost a toddler. Mm-hmm. Um. So they got to the school at about eight and they dropped his coat off and his backpack off in his classroom. And then they walked to the gymnasium where the science fair was and set up his project about red-eyed tree frogs. 
I did a project about red-eyed tree frogs when I was a kid. Uh, So witnesses did see them all together in the gym right around eight. And then shortly after eight, Terry was seen walking around with the baby and looking at all the projects and kind of just roaming about. Uh, And about 45 minutes after that, when classes were supposed to start, because, you know, it was like that chunk of time before school. And then they were going to do classes and then they'd have a time during like lunch hour where they open it up again for people to come in and see things. Mm-hmm. Um, so once classes were about to start, she left because why are you still there? Uh, the last time Terry saw Kyron, she said, was when she was about to leave and she saw him walking towards his math class. She's like, I yelled out his name. He turned around and waved at me. I waved back and that was it. Uh, but he was marked absent from this class. So he was on his way there, she mm-hmm. says, but he was marked absent. Uh, and then he was just never seen again. The end. Mm-hmm. No, it, there's so much, there's just so much shit. I said, everybody's got shit. They got, they got shit. Um, so uh, Terry, after this, went to uh, a craft store and you know she did all sorts of things right mm-hmm. and she was accounted for from what she said until about 10 10 and like they could follow the line like okay dropped off dry cleaning went to a craft store whatever but there was 90 minutes after that where there was just kind of open air where there wasn't any specifics um that she was doing she said that she was driving around because she had to go so some of her stops were she had to go to a pharmacy and get medication for the daughter because she had an ear infection Mm -hmm. so they had she had to go get drops well she went to the wrong pharmacy that was the same name and had to go to the next one to get the actual prescription that got sent right Mm -hmm. so she's like okay well go there so she did that and then she did all of her other things and then she says what she was doing at this point after the like last time she was seen actually by people was that she was driving around with uh Kira in the car seat to soothe her because she had her ear infection so she didn't want to lay flat down she didn't Mm -hmm. you know so she was just driving on back roads and kind of just calming her so she could sleep because she hadn't been sleeping very well um her cell was pinged on a tower uh that served I think it's just suave or sov Mm-hmm. uh island at like 10 40 so about a half hour after her last like known whereabouts but the only weird thing is that there's only one way on and off that island and it's a surveilled mm-hmm. bridge and she was not seen on it so they, they're not really sure how it pinged off of the tower there well I was actually listening watching a um what was it a documentary about like using cell phone records it was somebody else who was missing mm-hmm. and the what people don't realize is that cell phone records are or the the tower records are accurate to a point but if right. you're in a small remote area or it'll kind of find it, what it can or if one tower has too much it'll pop to the next right closest tower which, which will ping you Right. As being there, even though you're closer to this other tower. So they're not always 100% accurate. Right. It's when they tr- can triangulate and say, not only did it ping off this tower, but it ping off this one, this right. one, this one. So which means you're in this area kind of thing. Right. Well, and that, I mean, it makes sense, but like, there's also disputes about whether or not she like made a call. So then I'm like, how is she pinging off of the tower when it's like, at least then 2010 mm-hmm. um because it's not as like prevalent to just constantly be connected so i you know it's just one of those weird things that they were like i'm not sure why she was over there like it's not in an area where but they can't prove like that she was out. over there because they can't right. they don't have any video or right right exactly okay. so that's why they were like okay you know here's some information it doesn't really do anything you can't do anything with it but right this is the information. So the next confirmed thing that Terry did was she went to the gym. Uh, she went to the gym right around 1139 is when she had her little check-in mm-hmm. deal. 
and she dropped her daughter off at childcare because I think she was sleeping at this point, like she fell asleep. And she worked out for a little bit and then she went home right around 1240. And that's like what they know about her day. <clears throat> so sorry. I lie. They also know that she put up pictures on Facebook at like 121-ish. Um, that were literally pictures from the science fair and stuff that morning. And then she also at this time emailed uh, Kyron's teacher to be like, hey, when can I pick up the science fair project? You know, kind of just trying to figure things out. And right around two, Kane came home to work from home for the rest of the day. I'm not sure why. I don't know if that was normal, but he did. And so at 3.30, all three of them, the baby and the two parents, walk out to the bus stop to pick up Kyron and he just doesn't get off the bus and the bus driver's like he never got on the bus so they call the school so they had no idea that he was missing like that Mm -hmm. he didn't didn't get checked well that he was checked as absent um so they call the school to see why like if he missed the bus and so they need to come pick him up like what's the what's the deal? And that's when they found out that he was marked absent and the secretary called 911. I don't know if that's like what they're supposed to do when it's from the school that they go missing that like someone in the school. Cause I was like, why didn't they call 911? But whatever, uh, right around 6 PM is when everything start like shit started hitting the fan Mm -hmm. and they were like, Oh, we have no idea where he is. Uh, the investigation and search began pretty much immediately they uh the school doesn't have like video footage which I think is weird they didn't have security cameras they didn't have any of that stuff so I'm like they couldn't really look at that to see his comings and goings they didn't have him at like the entrances or anything uh so that morning the school was also basically open to the public to come to the science fair right throughout the day and so they were kind of like did someone come in and take him was there you know questionable characters usually you have to go sign in in the office to come in Mm -hmm. and so they don't have a sign-in sheet of all the people that walked in they don't have any of that so things are just stacking up against this situation right uh so the reason why they weren't called when he was marked as absent because I was like, wouldn't they call if he was absent and nobody told them he wouldn't be there? Mm-hmm. Um, Terry had told the teachers that he had an appointment that day, but he didn't. It was the following Friday. So some sort of miscommunication, confusion happened where they assumed that he was at this appointment, though she was talking about the appointment for the next week. So somewhere somebody said the wrong word that made them think it was that Friday and not the next. Okay. So they didn't call. They just marked him as absent, assuming he was at his doctor's appointment. Um, the appoint- This appointment was scheduled by Terry because Kyron was having what they called mini seizures. Um, and they wanted to, and just acting weird. So they wanted to check him out, make sure that there wasn't any problems. Uh, the searches went late into the night that night. And Desiree obviously came into town as soon as she knew things were happening. And her instant thought was, well, he had to be abducted mm-hmm. because he wouldn't leave the school willingly. He had terrible vision without his glasses. So I can't see a thing without my glasses. Is can't what I can't see a it. thing without my glasses. And he would, he was always afraid of quote, getting lost and not being able to find his way home. So mm-hmm. he would never just go walk off. Like that was his actual like fear. Uh, Kyron wasn't labeled as kidnapped just missing because there wasn't any evidence that foul play was involved yet they didn't know what what it was uh other than the fact that his coat and his bag were still at in his classroom like that's the thing that like lent to somebody or what something happened because he would have grabbed his stuff Mm -hmm. uh suspicions obviously were pointed at the family right away as they always are uh and they weren't initially talking to the press. The family wasn't, but that's more smart than anything because you can pretty much use anything against people. I don't care if you're innocent or not. Right. But eventually they did. The do number a- one rule. 
Uh-huh. Shut your fucking mouth. I, I don't care if you're innocent. Just don't. Cause... I don't care if you're innocent. I don't care if you're guilty. If the police want to talk to you, request a lawyer. I want a lawyer. Don't talk to the press. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to the media. Mm-hmm. Shut your fucking mouth. I want a lawyer. Well, <laughs> I was like, and they have Tony, the investigator, his stepdad, mm-hmm. who was probably just like, don't say anything. Right. Because anything you say, they can use to right. give reasoning. So it's like, just wait, and we'll do this in a smart way. Mm-hmm. So they did eventually do a press conference. All four parents came together and were on this press conference. Uh, Tony Young, the police officer, was the one who spoke first for the for them, for the family, um, as the three of them were consoling each other. But I did have to mark that body language is really weird because Desiree was not consoling back. She was like kind of just there and Terry was like leaning on her and like crying on her shoulder and stuff. And Desiree's just kind of standing there like crying, but not Mm -hmm. embracing back, you know? And I was like, that's, I feel like she had suspicions right, right from the get-go of this Terry lady. Um, Tony basically in this press conference pleaded for information um said they're working with the with law enforcement gave you know the information to give information and then thank the community for helping with the searches and keeping his name known and then after this Kane came came up and spoke and basically reiterated what he said but then they all he also thanked the media for making sure everybody saw his son's picture and knows exactly who he is and what he looks like so if they Mm -hmm. see him elsewhere they know um so both of the men spoke both of them very sincere you know what I mean it was one of those like I want to just give you a hug I feel I want to make you feel better because they weren't necessarily crying but you could tell there was like a lot going in their brain as they were saying things so the search was expanded to onto this the suave island it's spelled like suave the conditioner so I just keep wanting to say suave but I'm pretty sure it's like suave or something like that yeah just say suave it's fine it's fine uh but nothing was found anywhere this was the largest search in state history in Oregon so June 13th about nine days later the search ended because they genuinely weren't getting any sort of evidence of anything they didn't know where to go didn't know Mm -hmm. what to do um and nothing was found and this is when they began looking, taking a deeper look into like an, a criminal investigation about the disappearance. Cause they were like, okay, it's clearly we would have found a seven-year-old boy walking around the woods or walking around at this point. Right. Or the body. Exactly. If he died, you know. So this is when they were kind of like, let's just, now we have to look deeper into like the, the dirt, deeper in the dirt. Um, so the entire family was polygraphed and everybody passed except Terry, which obviously mm. doesn't necessarily mean too much, but it definitely made them like do a little side eye at her and look into her deeper. Uh, when the police interviewed some of Terry's friends, they revealed that Terry was upset with Kane because he had requested for her older son to move out because they were butting heads and it, it was Kane's house. And mm-hmm. he was like, he's not my rules my house my rules right he's like he's not respecting the house he's not respecting me he can go live with his dad he doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be here and she basically blamed Kyron in the emails to these friends like he did something so I don't know if the son was bullying Kyron or they didn't get along and so that was like kind of Kane's last straw or what Mm -hmm. but three weeks after he had disappeared Kane was asked to come for an interview alone and he told he was told that there was an undercover operation being done at his house and he's like uh okay I'm assuming this is because of Kyron no it wasn't uh apparently Terry had hired Rodolfo Sanchez the family gardener to kill Kane (gasps) yeah uh she told Rudy is what they kept referring to him as in some of the like news or things I was watching. Um, Rudy, that Kane carried around a lot of cash. 
um, that he could kill him and take whatever he had, make it look like a mugging. He usually carries like $10,000 in an expensive laptop is what she told him. So I'm assuming that he went to the police because... Yeah. Okay. Yep. Rudy went to the police and they got an undercover cop and they went back to the house and he just, the undercover cop poses like a second hand in it, you know, and tried to negotiate details with Terry, but she got the idea that something was weird and basically just shut the door on their faces. So the undercover operation did not work and she was never charged with anything because she was never recorded as saying so. So let's be honest, we don't know that this actually happened because Rudy doesn't speak English and Terry doesn't speak Spanish. So it, it may have been a suspicion that was brought in a different way or maybe I don't know it could have happened could not have but it's just another weird thing that happened during this whole debacle Mm -hmm. um either way it made Terry like number one person of interest on top of everything else and just her weird behavior this turned Kane against her as well obviously because he's like (laughs) she's trying to kill me (laughs) and Desiree already was very suspicious of her and this was like okay kind of just like nail in the coffin for her Mm -hmm. uh Kane said that he believes that Terry had some form of postpartum depression after she had their daughter um because after that she was super angry would shut down didn't you know just wasn't the person that he had married and fallen in love with Desiree also said quote I could tell you what I ate that day and she can't even tell you where she was for where she was talking about that 90 minutes where she was like, I don't really know. I was just driving around. Mm -hmm. It's like, what roads were you on? Where did you go? What, you know? Uh, But she just, I don't know. I just was driving around with the baby. Mm -hmm. So Desiree's just like, I just smell bullshit, you know, just reeks of bullshit. Right. Uh, Kane filed a restraining order for a restraining order and a divorce in the same day. Um, They also connected Terry to a possible murder for hire plot in 1990 of an ex-boyfriend. So what happened? This is like a pattern. Right. So what happened was uh, she she was dating a man named Sean. What happened was. Right. Uh, After they had gotten dinner, I think they said it was Chinese food. I didn't write it down, but Mm -hmm. because I was like, okay cool um one night and then they went for a walk in a park sat down on a bench and a man came out of the bushes with a gun and aimed it at sean and terry allegedly because none of this is convicted Mm -hmm. allegedly shouted he's here for you and then ran away (laughs) um the guy didn't shoot sean he literally just walked away yeah no i know can you imagine being the person what 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 do, you, what do you mean <laughs> well and then the guy didn't even do anything he just like walked away from he didn't shoot him <laughs> like he yeah just, like, dropped exactly. the gun down and it's like away. What, what is that what i what happened <laughs> so obviously he broke up with her mm-hmm. um and there's a police report about what had happened but when you look at the facts it's like what are you why he's here for you see ya Uh, so (laughs) so shortly after Kyra's disappearance Kane's old friend Michael Cook uh showed up for support and started being like very involved in the search and stuff too uh this is the first time that Cook had met Terry guess what happens they bone no via text maybe um after Kane left Terry, so she says, mm-hmm. uh, and took the baby with him because he was like, I'm not leaving a child with you. I not think you leaving my child with yeah. you. Uh, Cook and Terry began messaging each other mm-hmm. in a uh, different way, you know, started flirty, started flirty. Uh, they went back and forth and then it evolved into, are you ready? I have a little excerpt that I oh no gonna read. I don't know if I'm prepared. I've been told I do something very well. Cook responds, something question mark. She means sucking dick. 
just goes sucking cock. Yes. yes. And then and then knew his it. response. Knew mm. it. But oh, guess what he says? I want what? you to guess. It's a very like this is like a stereotypical okay. trying to be sexy without being like overtly sexy. A sucking cock. What would a man's response to you like bragging about sucking cock be? I can't. And you're trying to get it to maybe happen in person. Something like you've never sucked one like this before. <laughs> Not quite. Hmm. I'll be the judge of that. Oh, that's another. <laughs> oh, yep. A or B. A or B. One of those yep, two exactly. options. <laughs> so, and it just continues. It basically keeps going until it doesn't seem like it actually turned into anything physical. It was just like mm-hmm. messaging back and forth, but like he left Portland after like things wound down, you know, <laughs> and it just died out. It was just like, that was it. Uh, but obviously this seems like a questionable character choice on Terry's part. On Michael's uh, part. Well, I agree, but <laughs> who's in the shit more, Michael or Terry? <laughs> uh, so no one really knows if Terry had anything to do with the disappearance. Uh, but clearly there's reasons to question it. Mm-hmm. And uh, now- Does anybody, did anyone else see <clears throat> Kyron at school that day? Okay, so we're going to get into some more because now okay. we're going to start getting into like when they start really deep diving into that day, getting everybody's everything figured out. And it's just interest. It's interesting. So now comes in another person. I know we're just bringing them all in. Um, Didi Spicer <laughs> sounds so, like a stripper. It'd be a good stripper name, Didi Spicer. You just switch it to spicy, yeah. Didi spicy, spicy. <laughs> double D spicy, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so she was Terry's close friend and gym buddy. She stayed with Terry after Kane left, and it seemed like was kind of just like her support through everything. Mm-hmm. The day that Kyron disappeared. Dee Dee was working at a like on a garden so she's a landscaper gardener and at 11 30 the homeowner says that she left suddenly without ex- explanation and then didn't return again until 1 p.m which overlaps with the time that was time missing. that was missing on uh yeah on terry's part okay so she shows back up with again without explanation but like the homeowner's like as long as everything gets done whatever maybe just take lunch break uh, but Dee Dee was aware that the police were monitoring her and Terry's phones, so she bought burner phones for them. That seems suspicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, the police were never really able to get any information from her because she lawyered up right away and just shut her mouth. Like, Dee Dee, that's the way you do it. Do I agree with if you're harboring questionable behavior by your friends? No, but they just didn't get any information because she's like, ah, nope. No, thank you. Yep. Uh, a witness came forward and said that they had seen a white truck with a person standing outside of it and an adult standing outside of it on an access road towards the school that the buses take. Uh, this witness also said that there was another adult inside the truck. And at the time, Terry was driving a white pickup truck. Okay. That was very similar to that. So they were like, okay, noted. But the groundskeeper also drove a white pickup truck, very similar to that. And they mm-hmm. don't know if could have been either one yeah they don't know if it was a man or a woman because they just saw the body standing outside of the truck um two years after Kyron had gone missing in june 2012 desiree filed a civil suit against terry claiming that she was responsible for his disappearance and she felt that there was enough information to get like civil suit case Mm -hmm. um during the deposition Dee Dee refused to answer answer anything pleading the fifth again she's just like nope nope um including the day of the disappearance and her contact with Terry that day at all. So that was basically the main thing they were trying to get out of her. Like, did you talk to her? What was, you know, so a year after filing this suit, Desiree dropped it though, because there was an ongoing criminal investigation. She's like, and I'd much rather, I'd much rather Terry be found criminally, criminally responsible than be making any sort of money on this situation it's Mm -hmm. that's not the point I just wanted her to be responsible and since there is an active investigation she didn't want to like cause any problems by doing this 
private stuff. Uh, 2013, the divorce was finally finalized. So three years later, um, and in the court documents, Kane's reasoning was um, her changing after the baby. Obviously, they weren't getting along anymore. And then that she was an alcoholic and was severely emotionally disturbed. Like, so it's all like, I can't handle her anymore right. type of stuff. Uh, Terry tried to change her last name from Horman, but was not allowed to because of the ongoing investigation. So she's still Terry Horman. Uh, she believes that Kyron was kidnapped at the school by a man in a white pickup truck. She claims that she saw this man in this truck nearby at a 7-Eleven before she went to school with them. And he had asked her where the nearest school was. And she just assumed that he was going to the science fair and trying to figure out where the school was. Um, since she's been arrested twice already, um, once for stealing a gun from a roommate and another time for driving a stolen car. Okay. Uh, still nobody knows what happened to Kyron. There's, there's a book written called Boy Missing by Rebecca Horace that goes into more detail on everything. Um, it claims that there are people who saw Kyron leave with Terry from the school, which would make sense as to why there's still an active investigation trying to get like physical evidence to corroborate that. Uh-huh. Um, and the bus driver, a classmate and a teacher all saw them walk from the school to the parking lot. Uh, Desiree recently began trying to reignite interest in her son's case, like uh 2021 I think Mm -hmm. was the last article that I saw of her like speaking out and trying to re make people look at it again um and if you have any information or know anything you're supposed to call the Multnomah County County Sheriff's Office tip line at 503-261-2847 um because they're still openly trying to find Kyron mm. or what happened to him or because you know and it's yes Terry seems to be kind of just a shitty person but it doesn't mean that she did do anything so it's it just like, seems like there's a lot to, of yeah coincidences coincidence <laughs> um but yeah I didn't realize there was so much to the case like I said, I remember when I remember his face when everything mm-hmm. happened being on the news and stuff, but I didn't realize all the other like weird twists and turns that came with it afterwards. Right. So it's, it's, it was interesting. It's like, oh shit. Oh shit. There's murder for hire. There's mm-hmm. a, a plot to foot. There is sexting. It's very 2010. Murder case. for hire always makes me like question people's sanity because like would you just think a random gardener would be like down for murdering somebody like right well that's so that's I have another case that Mm -hmm. I have looked at that I want to do and this guy literally on their honeymoon first taxi driver that they see talks to him when she goes to check in like she he drives them from the airport to the hotel mm-hmm. talks to him about murdering his wife the first taxi driver as she's checking into the hotel is that an indian couple yeah yeah i watched the documentary on that isn't it interesting mm-hmm. fucked up but like holy shit but yeah so yeah. i was like what nobody no and everybody's a cop everybody everybody's a fucking cop first of all murder is bad don't do that secondly everybody's a cop everybody's a cop prove to me you're not a cop break the law they can't break the law break the law break the law do it right now go over there jaywalk no i'm just kidding nice oh shit yeah that's that's it interesting everybody take a look at it get let's figure it out Get on in there. Internet's loose. Mm-hmm. The power of the internet these days. Hey, we had a guy message us. Remember? You sent me yes. that? Yes. I, from Norway? 
I we had a couple of messages over you have no idea how excited we get when people message us because we go it's always the same so people actually do listen to us right and don't be offended if we don't mention it because they all go to our like message requests and apparently I don't get notifications for that so sorry so so sorry we're gonna gonna try and watch those and look at those more often (laughs) uh no it's well her name's pink on here I don't know but it's it's a girl and she is from Finland Finland yeah and she just kind of requested a few cases so we're gonna we're gonna dig into those. those but I was looking at them and we can't do them at the same time because it's just a lot of it's a lot of babies and I can't you but know see, how I feel and that's yeah. rec- I mean sounds terrible recently I've been watching a lot of like Facebook videos about like failures of the family services I can't stuff because it hurts my it, tummy it hurts my tummy too but I feel like it's important, important though. thing to yeah. be and I you know it's one of those things where I'm like I don't necessarily blame any one individual person there just needs to be an overhaul of getting a better system for it yeah so anyway anyway this has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. thanks for messaging us yeah it makes it like you literally Amanda texted me and was like hey look what we got and then there was like back and forth constantly of us going oh my god that's so exciting we also (laughs) got another message give me a one second you didn't say that to me I know, and this was a while ago, and I've not... You bitch. I'm sorry. You can also be signed into the accounts, m'lady. Right. I'm actually... You're right. right. You're right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Where is it? I always got to remember how to switch to different accounts, because this one's on Facebook. Uh, so it says, hey, just wanted to thank you for episode 77. I'm the grandchild of Steven, Steve Haugen, and I've never really gotten to know the story and what happened, so thank you. Oh! <gasps> I know my heart. Oh my God. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's amazing. One of those moments. So it's very, it's very sweet. And we appreciate it. You guys like reaching out. And that's one of those times where I was like, oh, now it makes like, me want to go back and difference. listen to episode seven. I know. <laughs> so thank you guys for everything you, and for being understanding us. while Christina's healing because she's a hot mess and can't. The old gray mare just ain't what she used to be guys just gotta stable her up she's done (laughs) just (laughs) send her to the glue factory (laughs) all right guys spread the word spread yourselves also i don't know why we say that i you know it just started one day and stuck to it it's fine i'm not i'm unsure actually i don't even know what that means but it's fine I'm assuming that it's because we said spread the word at one point, or I said it, and then Christina tried to make it weird by saying spread yourselves, and they were like, haha, that's funny, so then we just kept doing it. Yeah, um, that's that's probably 100% That sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> so anyway, spread yourself all over town. <laughs> good, good for you. Good for you. You do your boo. All right, bye guys. Bye.